You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Happy Easter. We are so glad that you're here. Now, let me tell you, I, some of you know this, I grew up in Boston and I moved to Miami right before my 14th birthday. And my family, you know, we're Cubans, so there's like a lot of people uh, that we're related to. And so they threw me a little party for my, for my 14th birthday. And there was this aunt and uncle that I didn't know. Anyway, it turns out I'm not even related to them. You know how that works. It's like, oh, we're not really related, but we were friends in Cuba. And then when we all came here, we got the band back together. It was kind of one of those things. So those folks, um, they bought me this really nice, thick gold chain. And I mean, it was so nice. Like nicer than I would expect for people that I don't know. And you know how it is when you're buying someone a gift. Like what level of gift represents the level of relationship that we have? So you don't want to go under you definitely don't want to go over and make kind of a bigger statement than it is. Well, anyway, I just figured since they got me this really nice gold chain, I just figured they were rich, but they were keeping it low key. That's why they dressed like they were homeless. And um, so I got my, uh, so I, I put it on. I didn't take it off. I just thought it was like the coolest thing, this, this gold chain. So then I had this button down shirt that I'd wear and I would like unbutton the first couple buttons, just kind of keep it open expose my four chest hairs that I had been working on and uh, rock my Edwin jeans. Anybody remember Edwin jeans? Yeah, those are my people right there, all right? And so anyway, so, and then I had this other smaller gold chain that I would wear. Now you gotta remember, this is like 1988. And so there is like a whole Miami Vice slash pimp thing that I was working. Uh, And so now, I wore this thing, this gold chain every day, and then I noticed something one morning. I'm like, what is happening? And, uh, and my entire neck started turning green. And I, I thought, oh no, am I turning into the Incredible Hulk? And, uh, and then I talked to my mom, and I'm like, hey, what's going on here? And then she told me the sad reality that my super cool gold chain wasn't real gold. It was fake. That's when, and I'm like, how can that even be? And then she told me about how they sell fake gold by the yard. And, uh, and I went to Home Depot and I found out they did not spend four to 500 bucks, they spent $3 and, uh, on, my, on my chain. And listen, and it all looked real until it interacted with real life and that's when you found out if it was genuine or not. And that's the way it works with pretty much anything in life that we think is real. Um, you know, some of us have fallen in love and we thought it was real only to find out that the other person didn't feel the same way. And, and it makes us, it's, we started to wonder if anything was real. Some of us have invested in friendships that we thought were real, and they were, we found out, well, they were just kind of using us, and then it really makes you wonder if anything is real. Some of us have had people make promises to us, and they broke the promises, and then we, started, we became hesitant to trust again. You see, everything looked real, and it felt real, and it seemed real, but in reality, it was all fake, and so we have these moments where we become disillusioned, and if we're being real honest, sometimes we've become disillusioned with God. Because we prayed, and the answer that came was not exactly what we were hoping and praying for. And we thought, no, 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 but I did the right thing, and I think I said the right words, so why didn't it work out the way that I wanted to? And this is one of the reasons why I love Easter. I love Easter 
and most people think that Easter is a holiday for people who believe. That is, it's, a, it's people who believe in Jesus, believe in the resurrection. And what you find is when you read the Easter story, um, no one believed at first. No one was there expecting to be a resurrection. Everyone was sorrowful at Jesus' death. His disciples weren't there. They, the disciples were in hiding. They thought if they killed Jesus, we're next. And so then the people who listened to Jesus' teaching were like, hey, maybe, maybe he's the Messiah. And the Romans took that out when they crucified him. It ended that possibility. There were these women who were so committed to following Jesus, but seeing him get crucified before their very eyes seemed to be a little too much to bear. But listen, that's why Easter is such a message of hope for all of us because not because everyone starts out believing. In fact, just the opposite. Listen, on that first Easter Sunday, nobody was expecting nobody. Nobody was expecting nobody. The problem is, is that we know the end. We've read the story. We're spoiled by that. But listen, after the gruesome crucifixion and death of Jesus, nobody was expecting nobody when they came to the tomb, but then they came into contact with the risen Jesus and nothing was ever the same. So we're going to start, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 and uh, we're going to start in verse one. Here's what we read. It says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he is risen as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed he is going before you into Galilee and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to his, tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go into Galilee and there they will meet me. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're gonna look at in our text together about what, God wants to do through the resurrection in our lives. The first thing, if you're a note taker, is that Jesus wants to transform my internal reality. My internal reality. The part of the challenge that we have on Easter is that everybody's starting from a different place. Some of us believe the resurrection took place, but it doesn't really change my day-to-day life. We kind of put it in the same category as like, I know that Thomas Jefferson lived, but outside of the Hamilton musical, it doesn't really impact my life at all. And uh, then there's others of us who think that, oh, the idea of the resurrection is nice, but it probably didn't happen. And then there's others of us who believe the resurrection did, took pl- did take place, but that has changed everything for us. And so while we all start from kind of different areas of the spectrum on this, I want all of us to get on the same page by the time that we're done, because we're all here because something happened that day. The first person to visit the tomb was Mary Magdalene. According to the Bible, she is a person who was healed by Jesus of demon possession. Now, whatever you believe about that, whether it really was some kind of supernatural thing, or you say, well, it was probably a chemical imbalance or some kind of social disorder that wasn't diagnosed, listen, Wherever you land on that, I think we can all agree with this. This woman was not well. 
And um, people who were considered demon-possessed in that era, they lived outdoors. Uh, they talked to themselves. They walked the streets half-clothed. And that was her existence. And her, entire, and her encounter with Jesus transformed her life. Now, if you and I had made a decision that we were going to cook up a story, we said, hey, what do you want to do? You know what we should do? You know what would be a fun hobby? Let's invent our own religion. Let's invent Christianity in the first century. The first thing that we would do is not have Mary be the first person to see Jesus. Why? Because the culture wouldn't accept it. Listen, truth be told, the fact that women were the first people to see Jesus after the resurrection hurt Christianity in the first couple of centuries. In fact, there was a Greek philosopher whose name was Celsus. He lived about 80 years after Jesus, and uh, he hated Christianity, hated Christians, wrote books attacking Christianity. His most famous was a book uh, that he wrote against Christianity with the very clever title, Against Christianity. I don't know what kind of focus group they got. Like, you know, let's come up with a real clever title about it. Again. Hey, boss, what do you think of against Christianity? Hey, give that guy a raise. Anyway, so uh, he wrote against Christianity. By the way, th this is a picture that we have. That is a statue of Celsus. And I have been staring at this because I keep thinking to myself, who does this guy remind me of? And then I figured it out. He's the, it's all in the eyebrows. He's the dad from that 70s show, even though I think Red Foreman is way more clever than, than Kelsus. But here's, a, here's the quote from Kelsus. This is from Against Christianity. He says, how can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? Like this guy's not making any friends at parties. Listen, the truth of the matter is this culture in the first century, you can take that down by the way, nobody's even listening. Um, this culture did not value women the way Jesus valued women. In the ancient world, women were not only not equal to men, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. Women had zero standing culturally. Jesus, in contrast to that, allowed women to be his disciples, allowed women to participate in his ministry. This was unheard of in that culture. The New Testament writers continued talking about how men and women have equal standing before God. Understand, this is absolutely shocking stuff in that culture. So contrary to what you hear on the news, no one has done more for the cause of women than Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? So, oh, I thought someone was clapping. I was paused there. Thank you. Thank you. Five points to whoever clapped first. The rest of us, you guys are too late. All right, but listen, it's, we're going to do this. All right, let's stay on it. All right, so, so why write that Mary was the first person to see Jesus? Modern historians, this is what they say. They say, if you were inventing a story about Jesus in the first century, you'd never put the testimony of women because it would hurt the message. And then this is what they conclude. The only plausible reason as to why women are in the gospel accounts is because it actually happened. And these are people who are not Christians saying this. That's the way it went down. But here's the thing that I want you to understand. Mary didn't show up at the tomb because she's like, I can't wait to see it empty. She showed up at the tomb to do something very, very Jewish. She went to go anoint the body of Jesus after his death. In fact, it said, you'll see this, and I'm not making that up. This is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. It says, when the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Listen, the angel shows up, as we read, tells them, hey, listen, he's risen. Tell the disciples, go to Galilee. You guys are all going to see him. 
But because these women were hurting, Jesus shows up. And because they're afraid, and he says, hey, rejoice, don't be afraid. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna all talk. You're going to all meet up in Galilee. Now, why is that? Jesus did not want them to hear the news secondhand, especially them. And I don't know about you. You ever have that moment where you want to share something exciting with someone? And then you're like, hey, man, I got something to tell you. And then somebody's like, oh, yeah, somebody else just told me. They texted me. Like, and there's like this whole story and build up. And then you're like, someone ruined it with a text? Like, how do I excommunicate that person immediately from my life, right? Because we, we are just hardwired to want to share good news with other people. When my wife and I found out that we were pregnant for the third time. Now, well, let me, when I say we were pregnant, I mean my wife. I'm old school. I believe that only she's the only one that can get pregnant in our relationship. And so, anyway, I appreciate that. We'll expound on that at another time. And so, but now... But we decided, well, I say, she decided, she's like, look, we should wait, we should wait um, the first three months before we tell anybody. So I say, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I'm not telling anybody, I, I'm, you know, we know, and then we're, you know, going to the doctor and whatever, and then um, I'm talking to my parents and my siblings and my friends. I'm not saying a word to anybody. Well, later that week, we go to Publix to pick up some groceries, and while we're at the deli, uh, the guy at the deli says, hey, how you doing today? She's like, great, because I'm pregnant. And I'm like, hey, throttle it back. You, you, you impose the rules here. You said, let's not do this. Let's not say anything. She's like, you're right, you're right, you're right. So we go through the store and we're just kind of getting our stuff. And then we get to the, the checkout line and the girl's like, hey, how are you doing? She's like, I'm great. Because I'm pregnant. And so, and so, and then she tells the bagger that she's pregnant and they have, they have this whole talk about pregnancy. And then now her and I walk back to the car and I'm like, and I'm like, okay, care. I can't tell my parents that you're pregnant, but the dude that cut the provolone for us, that guy needed to be roped in. And, but listen, that's just how it is. When there's good news to share, sometimes you just can't even contain it. Mary is at the tomb to put spices on Jesus' dead body. And they're told that, hey, he's risen. They see Jesus, and they're just rejoicing that he's risen. They just fall down and worship. Listen, there is no one who can transform a human life like Jesus. And if he can take a woman like Mary and with all kinds of problems and turn her life around, listen, imagine what he could do with your life. The reality is, though, that our transformation isn't going to be found in our past. And it isn't going to be found in who we used to be. So we have to, listen, and this is, some, this is difficult, but we've got to let go of the pain. We've got to let go of the failure, let go of the hurts of the past and start embracing Jesus. When Mary encountered Jesus, the person that she used to be was gone. And a new person had arrived who had given her life to Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is the promise for every person who's willing to come to him. Jesus wants to transform my internal reality. The second thing he wants to transform is my external understanding. Now, I love telling stories. I don't just love telling stories here. It's just, it's just part of how I'm wired. I tell stories everywhere I go. My favorite thing in the world when people ask me, like, what do you want to do? What's your favorite thing? My favorite thing is just sitting in a room with my friends, just talking, just telling stories about things. I just, I love it. And um, 
I also, especially with my kids, I love messing around with them and telling them stories, kind of these flights of fancy uh, of things that happened. One time when the kids were real young, um, they asked me to tell them a story. I said, I'm going to tell you guys a story of something that happened to me when I was younger. I told them the entire movie of Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> except I was Indiana Jones. And I had them with me up until the end. I'm like, you know, and then we, uh, the, they uncovered, the, they, they opened up the, the, the mercy seat, and then, you know, um, and then God killed all the Nazis. And uh, I was telling them that whole thing, and they were like, Dad, I, I don't know, I just I don't think that sounds right. <laughs> you know, the part where you swap the golden statue for the bag of sand, I mean, we're with that in the boulder, but I think when you... The, killing the Nazis. I think that was a little far. Anyway, so sometimes uh, I will tell the kids a story and they'll be like, mom? And she'll be like, this one's true. And so there's, you know, so it's like we have an external fact checker uh, that's telling us, you know, this is fake news. Uh, this is partially true, missing context. Uh, and so anyway, uh, so, so here's what happens. So I, I, I walk uh, about three miles a day in the morning. And uh, uh, so we moved about two years ago, but before we moved, I used to walk inside my neighborhood. And, uh, but what I found was, um, after a while of walking, these three geese moved into our neighborhood. And um, these geese, it turns out, were actively trying to kill me. And, uh, and, and I just was, uh, you know, I'm just living my life. And yet, they would show up. One day, I was walking. And so, uh, my, our old house is on this big loop. And so, I'm kind of go to the left, and I'm, gonna, I'm walking this way from our house. I get about three houses down and in between the houses, the three geese come out. And they're like, you know, Aflac, whatever it is that geese say when they go into attack mode. But they start screaming at me. And I don't know, my first reaction, which this is one of the things, you know, you find yourself in a life or death situation, like what would you do? I just started running. I did not try to assess it. I was just, I just started running. The geese started flying after me. I look back. The geese are in this V attack formation, ready to murder me, and I evaded them. I got home, and I told my kids the story. I went into my office, because I just wanted to know, how fast can geese fly? Do you know geese can fly up to 40 miles an hour? You know what that means? I can run 41 miles an hour. It's incredible. I'm like the pastoral Usain Bolt. And so, anyway, I tell my family what happened, and they're like, that didn't happen. This is Raiders of the Lost Ark all over again. You're not catching us now. And I'm like, no, this is for real. There are geese, they are demon-possessed, and they are out to get me. And so, anyway, about a week later of telling them, and I'm like, you got to be careful when you're out there. They're like, will you stop it? Anyway, so um, my daughter, Olivia, who at the time was nine, she's like, Dad, can I go walking with you? And I'm like, yeah. And here's how I knew she believed me. She believed me because she had this big stick that she went out with, and then she had this bulge in the small of her back. And I'm like, what is that? And she pulls out a, a little Nerf gun that can pack two Nerf bullets. And I'm thinking, okay, you're a big Second Amendment fan, apparently. And, uh, and so, and then, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, and so, and then she's got the stick just in case we expend, I've got two bullets and three geese. This is for the third one. And so, anyway, we run into the geese. But then we don't attack. We just get out of there. Then we come home. And my daughter says, Livy says to uh, her brother and sister and her mom, I saw the geese. They are real. And they are trying to kill our father. 
And, uh, and they're like, he put you up to that. There's no way that's true. Okay, a couple of weeks go by. Still, mockers and scoffers that I live with. All right? A friend of ours comes to the house. She comes over with her kids to visit my wife. They have a nice time visiting. They're leaving the house. They have two daughters that are about uh, seven and five, and then they have a two-year-old son. When they're leaving, the geese show up. <laughs> Try to attack the two-year-old. My, my wife goes into full mama bear mode, but not the way you'd expect. Somehow, I don't even know how this was. She produces a broom in the middle of all of this and starts doing this like Bruce Lee ninja stuff, starts spinning this thing. I don't know what's going on. It's like something out of the matrix. And, uh, and she just, anyway, now the only reason I, I know that is because my daughter Mia videotaped the whole thing, all the spinning stuff. And it was, I have watched that video literally a thousand times. And uh, now here's the, how do we know? I mean, I'm not talking about the video, but how do we know that this happened? Because there were eyewitnesses that could testify to what happened. And listen, we have the same thing. The New Testament documents, the books that make up the New Testament, are the most verified documents in history. This is why the Apostle Peter, Jesus' most famous disciple, could say this, For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is saying, we didn't make this stuff up. It happened because we saw it. That's why in the Matthew passage, and I tried to note it, and and I want to talk about it, the angel rolls away the stone and is sitting on top of it. Why? It's not just a flex. Like, look how strong I am. I can can move this stone. Um, He didn't need, Jesus did not need the angels to let, it's it's not like Jesus was knocking on the door, like, hey man, it's time. Could you let me out? This isn't like some kind of, you know, first century escape room. Um, and so, no, instead, in fact, Jesus appeared to his disciples when all the doors were locked. He didn't need the stone to be moved to get out. What he needed the stone to be moved for is to let people in so that we could take a look and investigate where he was and that he wasn't there. My friends, Christianity invites us to investigate so that we can discover the truth and allow that truth to set us free. One of the things that separates Christianity from any other world religion is the eyewitness testimony of those who saw the resurrected Jesus. And, they, and the New Testament writers were there. They were people who had seen the resurrected Jesus. They wrote it down so that we could believe as well. The Apostle Paul, who was, I mean, there's critics of Christianity, and then there's people who are trying to kill Christians, and that's where the Apostle Paul was. He was a Jewish leader, and he was imprisoning Christians, trying to kill Christians, and then he had an encounter with Jesus, and his life was act- transformed, and he became the spokesperson for Christianity. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve, and after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all he was seen by me as one born out of due time. You know what Paul is saying? There is eyewitness testimony of people who have seen the resurrected Jesus. He mentions Peter. Why Peter? Because Peter was a well-known disciple, but he was publicly beaten for his faith. 
And Peter could have recanted at any time, or he could have just stopped talking about it and lived a normal life, but he would not stop because he knew it to be true. It says, second, he appeared to the 12. That is the 12 main disciples of Jesus. The third group is to uh, 500 brethren all at once. Now, even the most ardent skeptics of Christianity date the writing of 1 Corinthians to about a few years after the resurrection. And that's really important. Meaning that the people who saw Jesus alive that he's listing, most of them were still alive at the time. That's why skeptics don't necessarily dispute the resurrection or that something happened. What they do is they just try to come up with some alternate theory as to what it was. Paul is saying, if you want to know what happened, ask any of these people because they're still around. But you want to know which one gets me? This is the one that I say, yeah, this is for real. It's that he was seen by James. You know who James was? The half-brother of Jesus. I don't know if you're not aware of this. Joseph and Mary had kids after, together after Jesus was born. And those kids were not enthusiastic about Jesus's messianic ideas. Um, in fact, they were very hostile towards him. Now, there's several passages we could look at, but I like this one because they were just so antagonistic towards Jesus. Look at this, Mark chapter three. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard about what was happening, they tried to take him away. And here's what they said. He is out of his mind. That's what they thought about Jesus and his messianic claims. Now, let me ask this. How many of you have a brother? Can I ask that? All of you that have a brother? Wow, a lot of, uh, a lot of only childs uh, here. Okay, well, I'm sorry to hear that. must have been lonely. Um, so just imagine having someone to grow up with. All right? So all of you that have a brother, I want to just think about this with me for a second. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is the son of God. Like you're thinking about your brother right now. Like all the dumb stuff that he has done, continues to do, and the stuff you're betting good money he will do in the future. And you're, now imagine you guys growing up together. You're, you know, sharing the same room. You've got bunk beds. He's on the top bunk. You're at the bottom bunk. And then he's like, hey man, you still awake? Yeah. Hey, man, I got to talk to you about something. Uh-huh. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm serious right now, okay? I'm not playing. Yeah, all right. Okay, listen, um, I got to tell you something about me. All right. <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm the son of God. <laughs> son of what? And uh, listen, that's, it, I'm guessing it would take more than a conversation to get you there. Now, uh, so um, I, my, I have an older brother, uh, he's about five years older than me, and um, he became a Christian a couple years before I did. He actually is the person who led me and my wife uh, to Jesus uh, almost 30 years ago. So my brother, up until recently, was still living in Boston, and he was um, at this men's conference that a group of churches put together every year, and so it was probably like a thousand guys that were there for this thing. And then, um, uh, so he goes to the event, and he gets a little lanyard with his name on it and a guy walks up to him and he says, Billy Frank was, uh, are you related to Pastor Bob Frank was the author? And my brother says, yeah, that's my younger brother. And then the guy starts going on and on. And, and he's like, oh man, let me tell you something. I, 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 your, 
your brother's books, man, what a blessing they've been. And uh, man, I subscribe to the Calvary podcast. I listen to your brother every week. And I've been to one of his events that he does for pastors and church leaders. Man, your brother has blessed my life so much. I mean, I wish I could have been there. And, uh, and, and he's like, and my, and my brother's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, cool, man. And then just walks away. A few minutes later, guy sees the lanyard. He's like, hey, Franquiz, any relation to Bob Franquiz? And he's like, yes. That's my younger brother. And he's like, oh, man, your brother's books, man. They have been such a blessing to me and to our church. You know your brother's book begin? We give that away at our church to everyone who becomes great. He's like, uh-huh. And my brother tells me the story. He goes, you know what? I just walked away mid-sentence. I just wouldn't even want to hear it. And then I'm like, okay. And then so now they do the opening session, and then it gets done. He's walking out. Third guy walks up. Hey, Frank, was any relation? He's like, yes! He's my brother! I grew up with him, and guess what? He's not that awesome. <laughs> Haters gonna hate. So, now listen. After the resurrection, even the brothers of Jesus who were so antagonistic towards him, they believed because the evidence was incontrovertible that they saw Jesus alive after he had died. Now, the passage that I read in 1 Corinthians is really an important one because the first couple of verses are, are really where Paul says, for I uh, deliver to you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture uh, and that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. Those two verses, um, Paul is quoting a Christian creed that was already in existence in the Christian community. And you're like, well, what's a creed besides Apollo, um, <laughs> whom I love dearly, but... Uh, a creed is a carefully crafted statement. The early Christian community and the Jew, they, they got this from the Jewish community. They did the same thing. Once again, it wasn't like there were books around for everybody to read. Instead, what they would do is they would craft these statements that everyone, that even if you never had access to a book in your life, you could, people throughout generations could continue to believe the foundations of their faith because they had learned these creeds and, and lived by them. Now, by the time that Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, which we said, most scholars, even people who don't like Christianity or aren't Christians, they date the 1 Corinthians to just a few years after the resurrection. They are insert, Paul is inserting a creed about the resurrection because the Christian community embraced the resurrection immediately, not eventually. That's one of the things that skeptics will say is that, well, the idea of the resurrection developed around the first 200 years of church history. There is no evidence for that. All the evidence shows that they embraced the idea of the resurrection immediately because the eyewitnesses were still alive. But now, and this is where you say, okay, Pastor Bob, you've convinced me. It, it, it happened. And, and it's true. But listen, just believing that it's true doesn't change your life, right? Like we landed on the moon, or did we? Um, you know, that's a, that's a story. Um, but listen, we landed on the moon, but it's not impacting your life. You know, maybe you believe essential oils are a real thing. And um, listen, wow, it got quiet. So, I'm going to get a lot of emails from, middle, from middle-aged women. Let me tell you something about essential oils. Um, so, I, <laughs> okay, calm down. All right. I, I was having a conversation the other day with someone about essential oils. And I told them, you know, the idea of essential oils is just marketing. And they were like, no. I'm like, listen, marketing is what puts the essential 
and essential oils. And they're like, no, that's not true. I said, okay, can you name me some non-essential oils? I don't understand the question. Every oil can't be essential. Which are the essential ones and which are the non-essential ones? Why? Because the essential is marketing. If they were called take it or leave it oils, I think they would impact sales. And so, but now, uh, and, and, you know, and I just, don't mail me. You just don't know about essential oils. Here's, you know, this will do this. You know, rub these on your temples. You know, it'll grow hair. You know what? If you have one that grows hair, send it my way. Um, I'm not opposed to that idea. And so, you know, I mess around with my kids. I told them, the, I told them this, um, I guess it was a few months ago. And I'm like, hey, guys, I want to talk to you about something. I made a decision in my life. And they're like, what's that? I'm like, uh, I ordered a toupee. And, um, and, and they were like, what? And I'm like, listen, I just, I want to have hair again. And, um, and I said, but the toupee, it's like really long hair. It's like 80s rocker hair. And they're, my kids went crazy. I mean, they were like, no, I will rip it. My, my daughter, my daughter, Livy, she's like, I will rip it off. And if you try to grow hair, I will shave your head in your sleep. And I'm like, relax, Samson. And, uh, and so anyway, <laughs> anyway, so beware. All right. But listen, simply believing the resurrection happened doesn't change your life. It's believing in the one who rose and trusting in him that changes your life. Last thing I want to tell you, and then we're done. Jesus wants to transform my future possibilities. Here's the deeper question that we need to be asking. It's not just did the resurrection happen, but what difference does it make? Why does the resurrection matter? And how does it impact my life? I told you that Paul was someone who hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. This is the guy that was voted most likely not to convert to Christianity in high school. And then he had an experience with the risen Jesus and it changed his life forever. And you might say, well, well that, pastor, that sounds good, but I can't believe in the resurrection and I can't believe in Christianity because I still have doubts. Can I show you just one last verse? In Matthew 28, passage we've been looking at, look at verse 16. It says, then the 11 disciples went into Galilee and the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him but some doubted. Now, I mean, if we are trying to cook up a story, you got to delete those last three words. It's like, and then they worshiped him, and then everybody was super fired up. That's how you end that. Like, hey, let's go take on the world. No, it says that they worshiped him, and some doubted. Some people were looking at Jesus, and they were like, am I on something? Did I eat the wrong berries on my way here? Let me check my sundial. Is it 420? Um, and so, sorry, I, I don't know what it is about the 1215 that just gets me a little. So anyway, but, and, and, you, and here's the quick thing. We might say, well, you know, people were just gullible back then. I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery, where somehow we think they're older, we're newer, so somehow we're smarter. I'm sorry to tell you this, but IQs have not gone up. In fact, I think an argument could be made that it's going in the opposite direction. And so, but their doubts, listen, their doubts were just as strong as yours. And they started believing. They believed so much that all of them died a martyr's death and never recanted. But here's the point. There's nothing wrong with having questions. There's nothing wrong with having doubts as long as you don't use those as a barrier to keep you from God. And listen, over the years, I've talked to people and they've told me what their, their hangups are. And these are the questions. And listen, sometimes the questions are legitimate. 
Like, yeah, man, we can explore that together. There's answers to these questions. But my philosophy has always been this. Instead of having faith in your doubts, why don't you believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts? It's a much better way to live. But I'll really simplify it for you. For Christianity to be true, there's only one thing that needs to be true. Only one thing, and that is the resurrection. If the resurrection happened, then we got ourselves a ball game. Because the resurrection is the crux of Christianity. That's why the, the apostles, they didn't set out to answer every random question that people had about the Old Testament. Instead, their, the focus of their message was preaching the resurrection of Jesus because the resurrection was about taking people from death to life. And so the question then becomes, do you want to go from death to life? Do you want to go from just existing to really living, from just surviving to thriving? You see, the question becomes, do you want to rise and be free because the truth of the matter is, is that God wants to set you free from the things that have been holding you back and the things that have been holding you down that he wants to change your life starting today and all that it takes is for us to open our hearts to him and you might say you know pastor I appreciate this I'm not a church person like I said I'm just kind of here enduring this I'm not into God well guess what he's into you and I tell you that because that's my story 30 years ago, I was not looking for God, but I am really grateful that God was looking for me. So let's all stand together. And maybe in these closing moments, we can make the most important decision that you're ever going to make in your life. Jesus rose from the dead so your life could be forgiven and changed. And maybe if he rose, maybe it's time for each of us to rise to rise above our past and rise above our failures, rise above our pain, rise above our guilt, rise above our fear, and yes, even rise above our doubts. It's time to rise from the person that we used to be and step in to the person that God has created us to be. Because God wants to take your life and he wants to transform it. It begins with forgiveness, forgiving your past, giving you peace in the present, and giving you hope in the future. That's what I want. I want a second chance. I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like I'm carrying around this backpack that's just bogging me down of all these past mistakes and failures and guilt. I just, I just want to feel free. Listen, that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus said it this way, come to me, all of you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's his promise to us, that this can be the day that we put all that stuff down and we put it away and we realize that who we are going to be is not found in our past. Who we are going to be is found in coming to Jesus and him transforming us, that if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if you say, Pastor, that's me, that's what I want, that's what I want God to do. In a moment, the band is going to begin to sing. And when they do, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to meet me at the base of this platform. You walk up from wherever you are and meet us here. Here's what the Bible says. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So this is your moment to say, I want to rise. I want to see God transform my life. And here's what we know. That listen, if we call out to God in faith that he's going to meet us here, 
and he's going to transform us here and every tomorrow is going to be different because of the decision that was made today so if you're ready if you're ready get ready for god to do something incredible in your life and how do i know because this is the decision that i made and that countless people in this room have made and it changed everything so if you're ready you meet us here as pastor george leads us Your name is higher, your name is greater, all my hope is in you, your word is unfailing, your promise is unshaking. Great decision. Great decision. And listen, here's what I know. I know that you see these people come forward and you're like, man, that should be me. And I'm, I'm wrestling and I'm struggling. Some of you were brought by a friend and who attends here. If you attend here and brought a friend, listen, put your arm around them and say, listen, if you want to go up, I'll go up with you. God wants to transform your life starting today. And let this be the first step that you take in the right direction for God to change your life. Listen, some of you are here and you're like, I know I'm supposed to be there, but you know, maybe I'll just, I'll just pray, but from my seat. And um, listen, everyone that Jesus calls, he calls publicly. And that this, there comes a moment in time where you've got to decide what you're going to stand up for. Maybe this is your moment that you stand up and say, Jesus rose, I'm going to rise. I am not going to let tomorrow be the same as today. Because the last thing that you want, can I tell you the thing that people say to me? I knew I was supposed to be up there, and then I drove home and I felt so guilty. Why do you want to heap on one more regret? Instead, let this be the moment that God begins to transform your life. Listen, the band's not going to play one more time, so if you're like, well, I'll go up when the next chorus comes in. No, no, no. If, the, if you need to be here, you need to come. This is your moment right now. This is your moment right now because God wants to do something in you and through you and for you. Yeah, come on. Come on. God bless you. We love you. Yeah, come on. We're going to wait for you. Yeah, come on in, bro. We'll make room. Come on, we're waiting for you. If you're up in the overflow, start running right now. We're going to wait for you. We want you to be here as well. But listen, yeah, come on. This is your moment. This is your moment to watch God transform you from the inside out. Come on. You came running. We're going to wait for you. Come on. There's overflow in God's kingdom. Come on. We got you. Yeah. 
Come on. This is your moment. God bless you. This is the beginning. This isn't the end. There's people in your life who have been praying for you, praying for this moment to happen, for this to be the moment of surrender. And you know what's going to happen when you surrender? You just say, God, you got to do it. I've had control of my life for all this time and I just have not been able to make it happen. You know what happens? God starts doing in your life what you could never do for yourself. There's this Bible verse. It's, it's the verse that has defined my entire life. And um, it's, it's a verse that I've taught to my kids when they were little. It's a verse that we got plastered everywhere because it means so much to me. It's in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and it says this, that God is able to do more than we can ever ask think or imagine. You know what that means? That means that the dream that you have for your life doesn't even scrape the bottom of everything that God wants to do. That's how much he loves you. That's how much not only um, does he want to do a work in you, that's how much he is for you. And you know what the Bible says? It says this, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Nobody. So church, let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you that you hear us and that you love us and you haven't just left us to figure it out. Instead, when we were running in the opposite direction as you, your son died for us. You cared even when we didn't. And so Lord, I pray that as every precious person who's made a decision to follow you calls out to you, Lord. We pray that you would hear us and that you would answer and act and begin that work of changing our lives, our eternities, changing our tomorrows. Those of you that have come forward, I want to invite you to repeat this prayer with me. Listen, it's not a magic formula, but I do pray that if they might be my words, they would reflect your heart in this moment. In fact, we're all going to pray it out loud together. Just say, Dear God, I come to you today. And I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I'm sorry for my sins, for all my mistakes, but your son died that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.